three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff! Welcome to Mission Control, Peralta Design's podcast on all things branding and digital marketing. Since 2008, Peralta Design has launched hundreds of brands with award-winning identities and websites. Join our hosts Ramon and Jorge as they use decades of combined experience to tackle topics with past clients, industry partners, and the rest of the PD crew. At Peralta Design, we launch brands. But for now, let's launch right into this episode of Mission Control. Hey everybody, welcome to Mission Control, Peralta Design's official podcast on everything branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship where we respect the grind and we reclaim the American dream. I am your host, Ramon Peralta from Peralta Design, and we launch brands. And today I'm very excited to have someone on the show whose skill sets uh, you know, complement ours. She's been in the game for a very long time. She's a veteran at this. Um, she is in the world of public relations, so I'm very excited to have her on the show. Please join me in welcoming Jenny Smith. Welcome. Thanks so much, Ramon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's something I've been looking forward to for a while. I'm glad we finally uh, got you on the, on the calendar. And um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What, tell us your backstory. Sure, sure. So my name is Jenny Smith. I am the owner and principal of Acuity Public Relations. Uh, we're a marketing uh, and public relations uh, consultancy Um, specializing in PR, of course, and uh, marketing communications. Uh, I love helping my clients position their services, connect with their customers, and tell their stories. That's really my passion, is telling the client's story, what brought them to what they're doing and why. Uh, My backstory uh, is pretty long road and it didn't start right in public relations. I got my undergraduate degree in journalism with a minor in economics in Ohio. Uh, Worked in Ohio for several years, worked for a uh, newswire service and I also did copywriting, advertising copywriting for a large department store there. And I worked part-time for a woman who owned her own marketing communications consultancy. Uh, And this was in my early 20s. And uh, I actually learned quite a bit from her. And I think that probably set the seeds for what I ended up doing, you know, more than 30 years later. Uh, So those were my early experiences in Cleveland. Um, Got married and moved to Connecticut for the first time in uh, the uh, um, mid uh, 1980s in 1984. And I worked as communications director for the United Way of Southeastern Connecticut and Gales Ferry. Uh, And that's where I really learned to love the storytelling process, interviewing uh, clients of the member agencies of United Way, talking about what they did, how those clients benefited. Uh, That became a passion. From there, I went to Puerto Rico, where I was communications director at United Way of Puerto Rico. Um, I had become proficient in Spanish in high school and university, but really had to dive in and get to a level of fluency once I arrived in Puerto Rico. And I think I have the reverse immigrant challenge. So that was a really, uh, a really uh, initially stressful, but ultimately life-changing uh, opportunity for me working in Puerto Rico. 
um, and that was until the early 90s, when I went to Los Angeles and started working um, in the private sector for a small boutique uh, public relations agency by the name of Drazo Communications. And there I took the Spanish language proficiency and combine that with public relations um, with the Durazo team. And we did a lot of public health work. We were one of the agencies as part of a large team that helped the California De uh, Department of Health Services um, do its tobacco education campaign, uh, which really reduced smoking rates uh, by more than 20% across the state. Um, I traveled to little towns in California, set up Spanish language interviews with health educators, handled events, handled uh, health promotions, uh, and that was a wonderful experience. Um, in uh, the early 90s, moved back to Connecticut and got my MBA. Uh, from there, I took a little bit different tack and went and worked for a medical device manufacturer um, up in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, and managed their marketing for several years, uh, and really uh, put some of the international lessons that I had learned during my MBA to use with that company. Um, was there for a little over four years uh, and decided I wanted to get back into the public relations and marketing sector. Went to work for um, a marketing communications firm in Rocky Hill, uh, the PETA Group, and for the next 10 years I served as their director of public relations. Uh, and in 2012, I went out on my own and uh, formed my own, uh, my own consultancy, and here I am. Yeah, that's a, that's a heck of a story because I, I, I think I say this on every episode that uh, success is not a straight line. And you, no. certainly, you certainly were all over the globe, it seems like. All over, all over the, the country. Yeah, all, over the country. <laughs> all over the country. And, and uh, so Cleveland was the, that's where your folks were from? That's, that, that's home base? I grew up in Northern Ohio. I grew up in uh, Sandusky, uh, which is halfway between Cleveland and Toledo on Lake Erie. That's awesome. And, and then, uh, I, of course, going, you know, the United Way path, I, you know, I've been involved in the United Way here. We still have United Way in New York City as a client. Um, that was the track to Puerto Rico. Did that opportunity just come up? And then even though you didn't know how to speak Spanish at the time, you were like, that sounds like a cool thing, because that's, that's pretty brave to just take that on. Well, I, my then husband got assigned to Puerto Rico. And I was like, all right, well, I can go and do nothing or I can continue with the career that I have. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, I was already somewhat proficient in Spanish. And so to get fluent, we enrolled in an in, in lingua course, uh, a, a language course in Washington, D.C. for four months before we arrived in Puerto Rico. And then when I got to Puerto Rico, I continued my Spanish language education at the same time I was working. Um, as you may know, Puerto Rico is an interesting place in that you really have to be bilingual, English and Spanish, to work in a business environment. And uh, so I would practice my Spanish on my colleagues, and they would speak English to me, and then we would correct each other. Uh, and it worked really well. I was able to bring some of my stateside United Way experience, and I learned about the culture of Puerto Rico and learned to do things a little bit differently there. Yeah. And that all, at the end of the day, prepared you for the opportunity in L.A. So how did that come about? Again, this was a spousal move, and I was like, all right, next, next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
uh, started interviewing in when I got to Los Angeles. I was thinking about getting my MBA when I got to LA. And then I started interviewing and uh, met the gentleman who owned uh, Durazzo Communications, Ray Durazzo. Uh, and after one interview, hired me uh, to support their, uh, their Connecticut Department of Health Services campaign. Wow. And so that's how I that's how I started in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I wanted to work in a job that allowed me to continue using the Spanish language skills that I had acquired in Puerto Rico. Obviously, uh, there are some different expressions and accents in Southern California because it's mostly a Mexican-American population, but um, I made it work. Right, and just, uh, it, it seems like there is a pattern where these weren't just jobs, but it sounds to me like making a difference wherever you were going was a big factor in your work. Do you find some reward in that? Being Absolutely. Boots on the ground, kind of making a difference kind of positions. Absolutely. I think grassroots uh, communication became a big part of what I did and continue to love to do for clients is that, that grassroots, how can we get to those who really need our products and services? Yeah. Now you studied journalism initially. Did you ever have a, a dream of being like, I, I wanted to be a painter, right? And, and, and have walk around New York City with, you know, gallery shows. And I said, well, maybe I'll do that in retirement. Did, when you went to journalism school, did you think you'd be a broadcaster or, or a reporter? Or did you have any uh, that kind of vision for yourself at that time? I initially did, and I really enjoyed uh, what I did while I was in school. I was an editor on two student newspapers, uh, really, really enjoyed that. Um, but I think pretty soon after I graduated, I decided I wanted to take a little bit different tack um, uh, and started pursuing copywriting jobs, public relations jobs. Um, Ohio Newswire, where I worked initially, was a newswire service, a private newswire service that helped companies uh, get their financial statements out onto the wire into newsrooms. And back then the technology was a little, a little more difficult, but uh, um, so that was the job at Ohio Newswire. And then simultaneously I was doing copywriting work um, for a department store advertising department and working as a freelancer uh, for a woman who owned her own business. So it was kind of the quintessential piece it together when you get out of college and do a bunch of different things. But that's a great, that, that woman clearly made an impact on you as far as like having her own shop and having her own clients. And, you know, like, were there some things that you learned not to do as well as things to do by working with her? Well, she had formerly been the marketing manager of Cleveland's major league hockey team. Wow. So it was interesting because I think what I learned from her is two things, is the discipline that it takes to get up every day and self-direct mm -hmm. and have your own business. So I observed that. And then I also observed the challenge of balancing your life with your clients and, and trying to make sure that you are doing your best to serve your clients, but you also have capacity to manage your life as well. Yeah. Those are the two things that I learned from her pretty early Yeah, uh, because I saw her in overload a lot. <laughs> and what was your role with her, like an assistant or did she give you a client? I did. 
anything she asked me to do. She had uh, some um, shopping centers, strip malls as clients. And so I would go out and distribute materials. I would help her write different things. Uh, just It was a pretty much kind of a girl Friday, learn as you go kind right. of a job. Right. Now, I, I've met creative directors that come from uh, a design background, and then I've worked with creative directors that come from a writing background. So to me, it's it's a gift. It's it's you're tapping into a, a creative place when you when you craft these stories. At what age did you feel like, you know, you had this gift for writing? Did you keep a diary? Were you good at writing poems? Like, where when did you start writing? Sixth grade, actually. Uh, and I think my first positive experience was writing an essay based on a family trip that uh, my sixth grade literature and writing instructor held up as a class example, made me go up and read, gave an A plus. And I think that initial encouragement mm -hmm. from a teacher who I respected mm -hmm. uh, was really kind of the path that set me, set me forward in, in knowing that I, I could use words and I could write to, to, uh, to help others and convince others and tell their stories. Yeah, that's an amazing uh, testimony. I can identify with that as well. Uh, the impact teachers make uh, cannot be understated at all. Um, Absolutely. That's, a, that's yeah. definitely a story to tell your spouse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I see it. I mean, in the relationship, she, she, she follows these, a lot of these kids and, and they remember her. And so that's, that's awesome. Uh, I have a similar story with, with regards to uh, drawing, but it was in the second grade, but it was the same kind of thing. The reaction right. and the rise that I got, the positive affirmation, mm -hmm. that feeling that you have something special to give and contribute, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think in many ways we still chase that professionally. Um, we do. We do. And I think I, I, uh, I was watching one blogger who is in marketing and she said, what is flow? Mm -hmm. Let's define for us professionally what flow is. When you get into the groove, when you get into the flow, when time dissolves, when you're just in your moment doing what you love, and it doesn't have to be something easy, it could be challenging, but you're just, you've got your whole brain in it and the rest of the world just kind of disappears around you. And that's when you know you're in the place that you need to be. Absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. Now, how did you uh, find yourself doing like specifically public relations, uh, you know, as a, as a discipline? And how do you describe the job? Because there's publicists, there's public relations, there's spin doctors. Like, how do you really describe your, what you do? I think, well, the Public Relations Society of America, which I'm a member of, defines PR as uh, the process of developing mutually beneficial relationships between an organization and its audiences. That's the simplest, most boiled down description of public relations that we can come up with. Now, as a part of that, there are many aspects of that. That's, um, you know, the traditional marketing that we grew up with earlier was, you know, you just push your messaging out there and whatever sticks, sticks, you just kind of throw it against the wall. Uh, public relations has always been a two-way process. Mm -hmm. It's about listening first mm -hmm. to your audience. Uh, as a public relations professional, it's about me listening to my client. Mm -hmm. uh, what are, you know, what is, what makes them different? What do the people who buy or use their products or services think of them? Mm 
uh, and you know what what does that interaction look like already? Uh, and that's the basis on which um, we build build a public relations plan and a program is really that that first listening process and feed getting that feedback. Yeah, excellent. Now, for our audience, you know, small business owners or entrepreneurs, why why is good PR important for a business, a small business? Well, your reputation and your image are critical to selling your products and services. Uh, If you don't have that, uh, then it's going to be a lot more difficult for you. So, you know, what, what is it that makes you special? What are people saying about you and how can you leverage that information in a positive way to position yourself? Uh, I think that, I think that's really, really important um, is, is that the reputation in your image. And, and again, that's a function of public relations is to support and advise uh, on a management level how people go about positioning their businesses um, to, reach, to reach their customers. Yeah, and now... We're both, we, we can both remember a time, you know, uh, before the internet, right? So uh, <laughs> yeah. share that. So how, how has the internet changed um, PR and marketing? Because now you have, people can Google you and there may be some unsavory things that people find or, or people may Google you and actually read all about you and make decisions before they even meet you. So what has changed? Um, since when you started in this industry to, to like the tools that are available out there now? I, I think that social media and digital, digital communications have made public relations more important than ever mm-hmm. uh, because what we have now is the ability for consumers and audiences to give unfiltered uh, uh, reviews of your, of your company, your product, your service, um, there is no filter, and it's important to anticipate what's going on in the market, what people are saying about you, and to have someone who can help you appropriately craft your positioning and your messaging and monitor what's going on in the marketplace, what people are saying, to be able to respond appropriately. Um, I think there, here in the pandemic, you're seeing so many examples of companies who are doing that listening, really active listening, and they're responding appropriately. Um, the companies um, that are donating products out there, companies that are listening to their community's need, uh, and they're responding in kind. And that may not sell products or services for them in the short run, but it's certainly going to cement their positive position and reputation in the long run. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you just, you just brought something up that made me think of uh, – you know, brands like Patagonia and Nike, Adidas, like they're, they're, they're utilizing public, their public relations strategy has been like get behind a social cause. Mm-hmm. And Patagonia has said, you know, every time that they've gotten behind a cause, their profits have gone up. You know, are you seeing that more and more with, with, with some of the clients that you serve? Yeah, I think that if you are showing that you are not just out there to make a buck, that you have a larger purpose uh, for your company, for your employees, that increasingly, especially younger generations, see that and respect you and are more likely to buy your products and services. I mean, I'm, I'm a consumer of Panagonia myself for those very reasons. And I'm not a millennial. 
but I respect what they do. I respect what they stand for. And they, it's actually kind of unmarketing for them. It's like, don't buy our stuff, recycle it. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but it's really cool this year. So I want to buy that extra vest, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unmarketing, because they do have that where they want you to uh, kind of recycle your used clothing, but that makes you want to buy more of their clothing. <laughs> so, and so it is support their brand. It's contrarian, but it works. It really, it really works. Um, and the other things, uh, I think the brands that are willing to go out on a limb about what they believe, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to have to be, and this is from a public relations perspective, they're going to have to be willing to take a little bit of blowback mm -hmm. on that position. And Nike is another perfect example of that um, with its support of Colin Kaepernick and other social justice causes. It's, you, you have to believe in what you're for. And you have to know your audience is with you to be able to have the strength to go forward with those with those strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that Nike is a great example because uh, in one of my presentations, um, you know, their profits after that ad aired, and that was way before George Floyd. They were they were putting those ads out, and um, I think they their profits went up six billion dollars, even mm -hmm. though there was some blowback of people. Um, you know, burning their sneakers, sneakers they'd already paid for uh, as, as a sign of protest. Their prop, Nike's, Nike understood their audience and they understood who was buying their product. And that's, that's a key piece there. So the, in other words, you, you know, the traditional PR has evolved now where I think social, getting behind social causes is, and championing social causes is something that consumers expect the brands that they support to actually be doing. Very much so, very, very much so. Uh, one of the um, sectors that I have served is uh, the senior living and home care market. And when you're talking about right now in the middle of the pandemic, when so many people are fearful, uh, the challenge for senior living and home care to position their services in a way that provides comfort uh, that promotes safety. Uh, those are all challenges. And these organizations, big, biggest challenge is to tell the story from the people who are within the organization. Um, I have done work with uh, senior living communities, the one in here in Connecticut, and their best weapon for marketing are the people who live there. And the people who have amazing stories to tell, not only about their amazing lives, but how they came to decide to live there. What are the benefits of living there? Um, how they've increased their social circle uh, while living there. And, and again, going back to my love of storytelling, those are the kinds of things that I just, I really love getting involved. The, the ability to provide that first person testimonial uh, by interviewing the people who use services and products um, uh, of my client and, and uh, get the message out that way. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Now, I, I want to switch gears real quick to your international marketing days. So because uh, that, that's something you, we just discussed some local and we'll come back to to that. Um, when we, we talk about our strategic partnership. Um, tell us a little bit about the internship you did with uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce. So that happened as I was getting my um, my MBA at Rensselaer Hartford. I decided I needed some 
just kind of dig in experience. And so I was doing some part-time freelance work, but I said, I'm going to go and do the work for, uh, at the, the U.S. Department of Commerce. And, and again, I just, I went in knowing nothing and worked with some amazing women, the director of the uh, Export Assistance Center in Middletown, uh, Carl Jacobson, was an awesome guy taught me so much. I put together a lot of research for them, which we went out to the media with on the state of exports within the state, uh, and, and learned some things that I actually didn't get as part of my MBA. It was an add-on. Mm-hmm. Um, while I have not lived uh, in another country and promoted a, uh, a product from it outside, outside of the U.S., um, some of the lessons I learned, such as you can do all of the research on your company's uh, product and how it will resonate within that country. But if you don't understand the export import situation, if you don't understand tariffs, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't understand the, the, the national and international laws that can facilitate or prevent your product from even getting into the market, it's no good. Um, when I worked at uh, Optum, which is the medical device manufacturer up in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, I actually saw that firsthand getting trade show exhibits in and out of Germany, which was a nightmare. <laughs> it's the, the things and contingencies that you have to build into getting your product from point A to point B that's a big part of the marketing equation on, an inter- on the international side. Yeah. Um, and that's beyond just understanding your audience and designing a product that fits within their culture. What about just the, 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 the general narrative? Like the storytelling has to differ, I imagine, in Europe as it would here in the States. Maybe there's colloquialisms or uh, cultural differences uh, between men and women. I don't know. Did you discover anything differently in marketing these medical devices in Europe as opposed to here in the States? Really, I, what we focused on were what are the um, regulatory agencies' rules mm-hmm. in the place that devices are going into. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some international standards for quality um, of devices, but you have to make sure that those regulatory standards are, are equivalent or that they're or or um, <clears throat> similar enough that you can negotiate that, but yeah, it's I, I I think trade trade rules and regulatory requirements are a big part of international marketing. You really need to take those all into account. So you've worked, you know, at these big corporations. You've worked in these nonprofits with with United Way. Now, you know, for the last eight years, you you've been on your own. What do you find? the most challenging? I think finding clients Mm -hmm. is becoming more challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, Word of mouth is always a great thing. Getting referrals is great. Um, But finding clients that you want to work with that are a good match with your skills and they see you having, providing value to them. I think that is, uh, that is uh, always a challenge. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good it's a good segue into uh i want to talk a little bit about and i think a lot of folks out there will get inspired first of all that that you went off on your own um and i'm sure that when you did that there you know i don't know if i'd have done it unless i got laid off honestly because it was scary 
Um, how did you work through that fear, that initial fear of like, I'm going to go do this on my own? Did you already have a client lined up or did you just, you know, like, what was that? What was that? Do you remember those early, early days and what, what that was like? Well, I was also laid off from the marketing agency I work with mm -hmm. uh, and they were restructuring. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was interviewing with large companies and I was moving towards a finalist interview with a large insurance company in Hartford. And I came to a point where I looked back at my career. I looked back at all the things that I had done and I decided I did not want to be unifocused. I wanted to have the flexibility to do different things, to take on different types of clients, to really stretch and expand uh, rather than focus on just one industry and one small piece of the marketing equation within that industry. Uh, and, and so that was January of 2012. Uh, again, I was, I was on the cusp of saying, all right, I can go into this finalist interview or I can make a decision now. Mm -hmm. And I looked back at the, at the woman that I worked for in Cleveland I look back at the point where I was getting my MBA and doing freelance work, but not really as a company and saying, you know what? I can do this. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so that I made a decision. I called the interviewer and I said, you know what? I think this is not for me. And that was probably the hardest thing that I have done in a while is turn down a really, really good job. Wow. And did, were you just like listening to your gut? Was it a voice? Did you, did you pray? Like, where did this come to you where you just felt moved to do that? It was that inner voice. Mm -hmm. It was that nagging inner voice that said, okay, if you don't do this now, you will never know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and um, I, you know, I can remember those days and when I first started out and, and even to this day, strategic partners are, a big part of how of how we operate where you and I think this is for those folks out there that are starting out or that are small or that really trying to figure out ways to work with other service providers whose whose offerings you know or verticals are different or complement theirs and so we don't do the public relations in-house um, and you don't do the branding or the web development and, and some of the things we do and so yeah I'm the word guy yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I make things look pretty, you know, uh, I'm visual. So I think together we work well. Um, and, and we've had a fun chance to, to work on a, on a project that you actually uh, brought us in on as a sub. So, so sometimes you, you can pitch something together. Sometimes you hire each other. Um, I know we, we've, we've pitched a number of projects together, you know, some state uh, mm -hmm. municipal opportunities and we'll, and we'll keep trying. Um, but, you know, it's important that we, we both feel comfortable like leveraging each other's brands. I feel like, I feel like we yes. have a good brand. You feel like you have a good brand and it's important that you're confident vouching for us and vice versa. And I think that's one of like the, the, the foundations of a good partnership is that it's not a one way. It's not like one is, mm -hmm. is just bolstering the other and, and without it, or one's bringing the other one down. I think right. a good partnership you know, is mutually beneficial, but also is stronger together. Um, and if you, would you mind sharing, since it's your gig that we're helping you with a little bit about like the process and what we've been working together on for that, that senior center. 
Sure, sure. Well, we're uh, doing work for a um, small, private, and well-respected home care agency in the greater Hartford area. And uh, we have been working with them to develop their positioning and relaunch their brand. Um, it's not a total, total change of scenery, but we wanted to find a way to position the agency to morph their brand and their position um, to, to people who need more than just home care, for people who need uh, what in the industry they call uh, life care support services, life care management services. So a person may not immediately need somebody to come into the home, but they need an advisor who can help them navigate what is a really complex environment right now with home care, with, you know, what do you do with the doctor, which child is going to be in charge of the elder um, in whatever environment they go into. There's just so many questions that families have right now about how to protect their senior. And uh, increasingly, home care agencies are incorporating talent that helps people work through that process. And so part of our work is to help this agency do that positioning as, as part of their new brand. Yeah, it's, it's been a blast working with you. Um, you're not, I mean, you're also project managing it, which makes it easier for us. You're, you're, you're dealing with the client for the most part and relaying their feedback and, and getting, getting feedback from us. But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I'm grateful you pulled this in. It's been a great project for us. Um, it involved a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our, of our offerings, a lot of, you know, it's in our wheelhouse. You know, we had a little bit of naming, we had some, some branding, we had some, some web development in there and, and working with you on content. And the fact that you, you're a resource for us, super grateful. Um, so you're able to create content, copyright, review content. That's, that's super helpful. Um, what, what's, um, I didn't even ask you this, but where, where did the name Acuity PR come from? <laughs> Everybody has their funny how we created, created. I didn't want to be a Jenny Smith Public Relations. I actually had gone down that road before when I was getting my MBA, and I'm like, this is too generic. It's just too John Doe. Uh, so I said, okay, well, I want to be at the top of the alphabet. And then a little joke on myself is I'm totally myopic. I'm blind as a bat. So I'm going to, I'm going to call myself acuity, but acuity, not in the literal sense, but in the sense of, you know, we're taking that 360 view of your company and we're offering you a little bit of visibility, acuity into what the marketplace is doing. So combination of things. And then of course you always do the trademark search, the word search. Does anybody else have this? Can I do a website? You know, all of those things. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I love it. I love the branding on it. And um, is there any other work that you do for clients that, that we haven't discussed? Like what's it like maybe share a success story or share some ideal clients so our listeners can kind of get a good, good understanding of who you serve? Well, I'm very proud to have uh, done work throughout uh, actually the past five years uh, for the Village for Families and Children, um, which provides a whole array of services uh, that keep uh, families and children in a more stable position, especially now during the pandemic. They're doing so much. Uh, and I've 
done a number of projects uh, with the village. Uh, one was for a, um, a parental support program out of two of their schools. We did a text campaign to educate parents on what was going on with their children and what the programs and services that the school offered. Um, I've worked for the last five years with the village and the United Way of um, Central and Northeastern Connecticut uh, on the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program campaign, um, which offers free tax support and tax filing services uh, to people with moderate to low incomes. Uh, and most recently worked with the agency to promote um, their EMDR therapy program um, to help uh, children and youth who are suffering from trauma. And so that was extremely satisfying. Um, so that's on the nonprofit side. Um, I've also been working with my life partner's business, mm -hmm. uh, my, who you have recently interviewed, uh, Daniel Penn Associates, which is an operational consultancy firm. And we've been super successful in working with DPA's team, his experts out in the field, to create thought pieces, to create blogs, to create how-to articles um, that we have been pitching to uh, Industry Week, to Plant Engineering, uh, to Control Engineering, to Pharmaceutical Manufacturing Magazine, to all of these different trade publications. And we've had a lot of success in uh, pitching and placing um, articles authored by DPA experts in those publications. So that's also really satisfying. Um, that actually takes me back to my manufacturing days and some of the manufacturing clients that uh, I worked with at the PETA group. So that thread, that line is carrying forward. Yeah, I mean, it's true what they say. Everything you've ever gone through has prepared you for where you are today, you know, and I can definitely see mm -hmm. that thread. And, and um, you know, so in these cases, you're, you're creating content, you're writing blogs, you're, you're writing copy for advertising for, uh, for websites, um, right? All, all of that and yes. kind of managing that, that, that process. Um, but always looking at what is that, what is that goal? Is this meeting, is it meeting the objective? Is it something that can drive people to the client's website to get them click on a button, to get them to pick up the phone, to get them to send an email? I think that's really always the goal uh, for, for all of our clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you do I, that very well. Thank you. Thank you. And, and appreciate that. And I, and I think that's why I, there are a number of reasons why I love working with you, um, what you just shared, but also um, it's so evident that you're, you really care about using your powers for good. You know, a, a lot of, a, a lot of the clients and the work that you're doing is not just, uh, it's not just for the buck, you know, but you're actually making a difference um, with, 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 with the clients that you're working with, which is excellent. Yeah, I'd love to give a little plug to the national network that I'm part of. I'm the Connecticut representative for a national network of senior public relations consultants called the PR Consultants Group. Mm -hmm. And uh, as part of that group, we, we're a mutual support network. So we provide each other professional advice, but we're also increasingly partnering with each other on projects. Um, and right now, I'm working with two of my network uh, uh, partners, one's in Denver, one's out in California uh, with their clients. Uh, so 
I can bring them into projects. They can bring me into projects. Sometimes it's geographically dependent and sometimes it's skill and industry dependent. It really depends, but uh, it's been a, a wonderful network to be a part of. And uh, we've, I think we're all, we're all benefiting, especially now during the pandemic, having, having group Zooms of 50 people. It's been great. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Michael Jackson's song, You Are Not Alone. <laughs> you, know, you're, you, you know, you're your own uh, boss, you've got your own business, um, but when you, when you align yourself in these networks, you get pulled into these different opportunities. And, and we talked about the challenges of finding jobs and clients. Um, when you're in these organizations, yes, it, it, you got to work at it, you got to be present, you got to be involved, but you also, uh, in effect, you've just cloned your sales force. You have people out there that are keeping you top of mind um, and pull you into these opportunities. So, so that's excellent. So I want to give this, you know, as we, as we wrap up here, give you a chance to um, tell our listeners how, what the best way is for them to contact you. Is there an intake form they can go to uh, call you, email you kind of just, uh, just, you know, share your social handles, whatever you'd like. Sure. So uh, my website is acuitypr.com. My email address is Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, at acuitypr.com. My Twitter handle is at acuitypr.com, acuitypr. And then you can find me on LinkedIn by searching Jenny Smith, acuitypr. All right. Excellent. Jenny, this has been great. I think, uh, you know, I, I'm just I'm just so grateful to have you in in our network and count you as as a friend. Uh, you know, I do miss bike riding with you and Tony. I have to I have to put that out there. So I can't wait till we can get back to doing that. Uh, but 2021. 2021. <laughs> we're gonna we're we're just gonna do like a century every week just to make up for. You know? That sounds great. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, I just want to say thank you for, for uh, you know, for making time to be on our show and, and, uh, and, just, uh, and just let you know how grateful I am to have you in, my, in, in, in our network and that my team can reach out to you and vice versa. And, and I look forward to working with you on many more projects. And, and I hope our listeners really uh, reach out to you and, uh, and, and learn more about what Acuity PR does. You're really, you're really great at what you do. Um, one of the best, in my opinion. And I look forward to working with you for a long time to come. Thank you so much, Ramon. Back at you. Yeah, thanks. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mission Control. Until next time, this is Ramon Peralta from Peralta Design and Relaunch Brands. Thank you for taking this journey with us. To learn more about Peralta Design and our work, go to www.peraltadesign.com and subscribe to keep up with the crew.